What's going on, good people? I am your host, Armand Lee, and thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Quarterly Report. We've got a really fun show coming up for you this week. My guy, Ben Standing from the Sports Capital, is going to stop by. We're going to discuss all things Washington Wizards, a team with a huge offseason ahead of them. And most importantly, for most of you fans out there, the man who will be making those decisions. Well, he's back for another year, at least. We'll get into all those topics. Plus, has anyone in the world of sports had a worse year than HBO boxing? All right. Maybe the Toronto Raptors, but outside of them, can you think of one? If you think that's a random assumption, you're in luck. I've got two segments to perfectly illustrate just how awful a year HBO Boxing has had. All that and so much more. But first, our number one topic this week. First quarter, it's time now for Rise of the Machine. Yeah, we're starting the show off a little bit different this week. I haven't done Rise of the Machines in a while, but... Shout out to my brother, Julian Turner, who put me on to this story. I don't know if anyone, I don't know if you guys have heard it, but this is crazy to me. He he texted me this story about a week or so ago, and I just like, yo, I couldn't get it in last week's show, but I had to find a way. This, we are living in Skynet. And if you doubt what I'm saying, just listen to this. Amazon, okay, Jeff Bezos, man. I've been talking all this time about Elon Musk and how he's going to be the man to just kind of walk us, lead us into the robot revolution. Well, no, maybe it's even worse than that. Maybe it still is Elon Musk, but he and Bezos, they are like literally in an arms race. Okay. They're in this cyber cold wars, cold war arms race to decide who will be the person right to unlock the evil that is living in all of these robots, this AI and technology that we have, that we're consuming, right? And Amazon, in their quest to end humanity as we know it, they have created this, I guess this robot called Vesta. Now, a lot of you all, you already have Alexa or Siri or whatever the case may be, where you have like the, the home assistant, whatever, and they're in the little cube or little uh cone if you will and you just ask them hey can you can you order me this from amazon right so they already have your credit card information or can you order this food from my favorite restaurant down the street so they know your eating habits and all this other stuff right well apparently that's not enough right again we're living in skynet ladies and gentlemen amazon next year has a prototype they are ready to unveil and to start selling, right? Putting this product on the market. It's called Vesta. And it is a robot for the house. I kid you not. In the article that I've seen, apparently we're talking about like the Jetsons, you know? They had they had a robot, I forget her name. Yeah, we're gonna have little beans in your home at your disposal wink wink i shouldn't have to tell anyone how ridiculous and how frightening this is i don't know if the robot revolution will happen in our lifetime but you know all the seeds are planted for it to be remember the movie i robot with will smith and those little bombers just took over and will smith was like the only one who was like yo i don't need a robot i'm not messing with them and, you know, as the movie went on, he found out he was right. Listen to how easy our life is now, man. I can pick up a remote control, push a button, and find out whatever TV show I want to watch. I don't have to listen to the radio anymore because I can program all the songs that I like. Or even better, there are people, there are music curators who will then dictate to you what music that you like based on your previous listening experiences how crazy is that like how much information do we have or how much information does big brother or amazon or google or not to get off track but we are fastly running to a point in time where everything will be owned by five major corporations disney comcast google apple amazon 
I don't know what's scarier. The robots about to be, you know, <laughs> unleashed into all of our homes or the fact that five different corporations will run everything. Everything. <sighs> back to back to Vesta, right? I can talk to you guys and you know some of you are like, man, Armand, you OD and you wild what are you talking about stuff? What am I talking about? You know, probably people probably thinking, man, you know, I'm not gonna buy this. Nobody's gonna buy that. Who wants a robot in the actual house? Have you guys been paying attention to just life? iPhone, Apple and their iPhone, they make a new phone every other year. And it always sells, there's always a line for it. And what's the difference? A speck or two about your camera? And none of y'all Bama's photographers, you know what I'm saying? Y'all put your pictures up on Instagram, another thing. Everybody knows what you look like, where you at. You carry little cloaking devices, you know what I'm saying? And our phones, people can find, like, you can track, you can be easily tracked, everything. And every year, Apple releases a new phone that's just like the phone they just released, except for there's an added spec or, or two on their uh, camera. Or you get an extra, you know, gigabyte or megabyte. Alabama's just using on apps. And here's the thing, they'll sell you, hey, now this one has facial recognition. As if that's a selling point. Yeah, I want my phone to be able to dictate or determine my face. How crazy is that? And you know what? I'm not preaching my dumb ass. A few years ago when I bought it, uh, my iPad, you know, it got passwords for everything now. And I can't remember, but like four of them. So the iPad was like, yo, you know, we got uh, the touch ID. So all you got to do is touch the, the home button and we'll remember you. And I was like, cool, that seems convenient. And then like a month later, my sister's like, are you seriously did that? That's the dumbest thing you could have ever done. Because now my fingerprints, they got that. You feel me? We're consumers. We can't help it. We buy everything all the time. You know, why do you think there's so many sales after tax day? Because a lot of people are getting money and we're ready and really enabled to buy stuff. And Amazon, they're the biggest hustlers in this thing. They sell everything. And now they're gonna sell a robot. T, what is it? T8, T180? What was it, Johnny T, uh, Terminator 2? Y'all gonna have that Bama in your house. Asking, hey man, how do I make how do I make this dish? Bro, as if life isn't convenient enough, you don't even have to cook anymore. You can order food online and have it sent to you the next day with instructions on how to make it. Everything is easy now. Everything. You don't need a cab. You know, you don't need taxis. You don't have to win in line for shoes. You don't even have to shop anymore. Remember people used to actually go to malls? There are no malls anymore. Why? Because you can order everything online. And Alexa, you can just talk to her and she'll get it for you. And now Terminator 2 is going to be living with you and your wife and your children. You know? It, look, how, how, what is, how long is the leap, right? They know what you like to eat until they're like, hey, man, you shouldn't eat that. You know, it's not healthy for you. We got Fitbit calculating how many calories you burn in a day. How long before they're like, hey, bro, I'm not giving you that. You haven't burned enough calories. And then how long is it before it's like, okay, you need to burn more calories. Do, you know, run two miles tonight. Or you didn't do enough, run harder. You need to uh, add your muscle mass, do 20 push-ups, 100 sit-ups. You see what I'm saying? It's just one little jump, one little hop. And then before you know it, we're slaves to these damn things, man. Looking for Arnold Schwarzenegger and John Connor to help blow this stuff up. Man, we, again, Skynet, Joe. Amazon Vesta, man. Apparently, they're ready in 2019 to hit the market. I swear if I see one, if I see some one of my neighbors with it, man, <laughs> I'm running with a baseball bat and beating that joint up. Hey, man, we got to start somewhere, Joe, because we got to start now or it's too late. Y'all bammers think I'm joking. All right. I told y'all last year I got my bunker ready. You understand? Don't come. When it, when it all pops off, 
They'll come calling, hey, Armand, man, what, what should we do? What should we do, man? I need another show on Thursday. Nah, Slim, I done gave you the heads up, baby. Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos literally racing to the end of humanity. And we all cool with it because we can order pizza from Alexa. Get the hell up out of here, Joe. All right, man. That was another edition of Rise of the Machines. I hope y'all, I hope y'all enjoyed it. I hope you guys found that funny and frightening at the same time as did I when my homeboy sent me that story because that's crazy to me, Joe. We are literally living in Skynet. I saw how this played out as a youngster. Again, Terminator 2 is one of my favorite movies of all time, man. I ain't playing. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But enough about that. Reminder, if you think I'm OD and if you think I'm wildin', or you actually have another story that scares you about AI and artificial intelligence, robots, technology just going way too far, remember, you can always email me your ideas, your thoughts, whatever article that you may see at quarterlyreport at gmail.com. Again, that's quarterlyreport, Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E, report at gmail.com. All right, that was the first quarter, but we're, it's about time to get into sports. And I'm going to do the second quarter also a little bit different. We're going to start with stoppage time on a topic that I discussed a few weeks back. It's our second topic this week. Second quarter. Stoppage time is usually something that I say for after the second quarter, right before we do halftime. And it's a segment where, you know, I answer emails or tweets from anyone who listens to the show, maybe a comment, it may be responding to something or a topic that you guys want to hear me discuss. And I like doing it because it's a way for me to kind of really interact with you all who listen to the show. And I really appreciate each and every one of you who check out all of the episodes, just maybe one. I appreciate all of you guys for doing so. And it's a way, you know, that I can kind of connect with you guys in a way that kind of feels a little bit more intimate. But this week's, uh, Stoppage time edition actually is going to be the entire second quarter because I got an email uh, from Curtis from Uptown. Shout out to Curtis. Shout out to Curtis from Uptown because I feel like you've emailed me before. Um, so I appreciate, you know, you getting engaged with the show. And his email is something that speaks to a larger issue as it pertains to the NBA. And it's something that I've I haven't really been able to think about and fully put it in a perfect you know, um, segment and to really scratch the surface of where I wanted to until I got this email and it got me thinking. So Curtis, you're going to get an entire quarter. And I think a lot of you guys probably feel like Curtis. So Curtis says again, Curtis from uptown, shout out to DC. Curtis says, Armand, you wilding about Otto. I don't care what his per 36 stats numbers are or whatever other nerdy number you want to put out. Otto is overrated. He can't create. He can't get his own shot. All he does is catch and shoot. If you're going to get paid that much money, you got to at least be able to get a bucket in crunch time without John spoon feeding you. P.S. I love the show. So, again, Curtis, I appreciate, you know, you're, you're emailing me. And, again, I feel like a lot of people probably think like what Curtis thinks. You know, I've already talked about Otto and kind of, you know, my appreciation for him. But. In doing so, I've heard a lot of people like, oh, man, I don't can't do this. I don't can't do that. So, number one, there ain't nothing nerdy about me over here, especially these hands, Joe. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But one of the criticisms about doing these advanced statistics is that it's dismissed as, oh, man, you a nerd. And I'm like, and, I just, and just let's let's remove Otto from it. Let's just focus on the idea that if you provide any type of stat or data that isn't he scores blank per game or he rebounds whatever per game. Any other type of statistic is deemed as or dismissed as, oh, man, you a nerd. And I'm just thinking to myself, why is it like that with basketball? Case in point. If we all know, we all love to listen to music. Right. Maybe you do know someone like myself. I know someone who loves music, though. Not like I love music. I love putting on a song and I love either working out to it or bopping to it, driving, 
You know what I'm saying? Whatever the case, I like it as a soundtrack. But I'm talking about somebody who loves music. Like, they study it. They, they, they're interested in how a song is constructed, a melody, how they came up with a certain bridge, the crescendo, right? People who play multiple instruments, not because it's just some type of hobby. It's, it's like it's a passion, right? They can't control it. They just have to keep consuming it because they love it so much. Maybe you know someone who loves history, right? And every time you go to their crib, they got the History Channel on. And not like, you know, Forged from Fire or Stories Wars, but like literally, like documentaries. They always are up on this era in world history or what's going on in another part of the globe from a historical perspective. And they're always reading history books, right? Not because, again, they're trying to be cool or it's a little fad. It's because they genuinely have a passion for history. We got this with politics literature, any of the performing arts, you name it. If people just love paintings or whatever the case may be, maybe they don't like a, a specific artist, but they study it to see his work or her work, right? To understand what they're doing, how they manipulate uh, colors, right? All these different ideas and topics. Like there are some people who are just genuinely obsessed with whatever topic, right? Whatever their passion is, and they go all they go all out on learning as much and consuming as much as they can about whatever their said love is, right? I'm not being hyperbolic when I say this. I love basketball. I love the NBA. I've loved it since I was a little boy. You know, there were a lot of things that I enjoyed throughout the course of my life. But the one thing that has made has stood pat. Throughout my entire life, outside of my sister, is my love for basketball, specifically the NBA. Okay? I'm 35 years old, man. I'm talking about since I've been eight, I've been in love with this game. And like the friend who loves music, like the friend who loves art, like the friend who loves history or literature, I am consumed with learning and just not even learning, but just reading and knowing more about the game. And if you love basketball, if you genuinely love basketball, not just as something to pass the time or something that's entertaining, you know, or something that may pique your interest. But if you absolutely love basketball, why wouldn't you want to learn as much as you can? Read as much as you can. Listen to as much as you can. The thing about analytics, which is crazy to me, is that if you're if it's, it's used as like this big umbrella, right? So anything that's not a raw stat, and when I say raw, it's like a total accounting of a number, right? Or a per game, an average. If it's not one of those two things, it's easily dismissed as, oh, it's an analytic. And then you can feel, you know, people's eyes rolls and teeth, they suck their teeth, right? But it's important for a lot of people who don't really mess with them, advanced stats or analytics, whatever you want to call them, that they're all not the same, right? I've discussed in the past, I'm someone who who like subscribes to David Barry's metric, wages of wins or wins produced, whatever you want to call it. Wins produced is completely different than win shares. You know, I was going back and forth with somebody uh, not too long ago and I was giving them all these different metrics and they were like, oh, well, win shares is, you can't use win shares and wins produced. And I'm like, man, they're not, they're not similar at all. <laughs> you know, they're, they're not... They're not even from the same formula. PER. PER is probably the most famous advanced stat in basketball. I can't stand that statistic. I think it's I think it's completely off off base. Anybody who gives me a PER stat, I'm just like, man, why? Why are you giving me that? Because it doesn't mean anything. And we've known this. We know it's easy to kind of juke the stats on that. But again, PER has served its purpose. It was like the first. PER came out in the late 90s, I believe. And over time, we found ways to improve it. But people continue to use it. And people think, it like, okay, PER, if you believe in analytics, if you believe in advanced statistics, you got to believe in PER because PER is the most famous one. No. PER is nothing like box plus, you know, box score plus minus, or win shares, wins produced, you know, Defensive rating, offensive rating, they're all, they're just different. There's so many of them. 
and then and then stats like true shooting percentage or effective field goal percentages. Like those aren't all in one stats. Like that just speaks to how effective someone is at shooting the basketball. Those really aren't advanced stats, but if you use them in a conversation, people, oh, you do it. That's that nerd talk again. And it goes back to my point. Like, why wouldn't you want to know more? Obviously, the game is moving. Now, we could disagree on how fast it's moving. A lot of people say we're living in the, you know, advanced stat revolution. I tend to disagree. But whatever the case, it's moving that way. So if you love the game or you want to get, you know, better familiarize yourself with some of the, the current events and certain trends, why wouldn't you at least read up on it? Doesn't mean you have to like it. Doesn't mean you have to believe in it or subscribe to it. But just inform yourself, right? In this email, and I'm not, I'm not picking on Curtis. Shout out to, again, big, big thanks to Curtis for listening and emailing. But he says, you know, per 36 stats, and I don't know if you're just doing that to be funny or whatever, but let's just say, you know, because there's truth and jest and referring to Otto, you don't care about per 36 stats. Otto plays 35 minutes. So you're not going to learn anything from Otto Porter by looking at his per 36 minutes because he's essentially playing 36 minutes, right? Per 36 minutes is a metric that kind of projects, even though some people don't like that term. It projects what someone who wouldn't be playing 36 minutes, who's playing fewer than 36 minutes, a significant like 20 minutes or so, 18 minutes or so, what they would be, be what they would be scoring, what they would be contributing, rebounding, whatever the case may be, what they would be contributing if they played a starter's minutes. Right? That's the purpose of per 36. So when I see that, I think that okay, man, man, maybe you just don't and I'm not being dismissive and I'm not really trying to sound smug. I promise you a pompous. But maybe you don't know about what per 36 is. And that's cool if you don't know. But why, instead of dismissing it, why wouldn't you read about it? Why wouldn't you listen to a podcast or read an article or whatever the case may be? Like if I, I assume if you are listening to my podcast, a podcast in which I talk about the NBA all the time. I don't know if there's been an episode where I haven't at least had a quarter on the NBA. And in the season, I'm talking about it two times, maybe even three times, right? Depending on the guest. So I'm assuming if you're listening to my podcast, you too love the NBA. So if you love the NBA, why is it that you don't want to know as much as you can? Right? Why do we just continue to fall back on like these, these ideas? We know points per game means nothing. DeMar DeRozan is a perfect example. There's so many people who were like, oh, man, DeMar DeRozan is so great. And I don't want to take away from his regular season. He did have a very nice regular season. But he's not a great player. And he scores a boatload of points. But every time the Toronto Raptors in this playoffs or this regular season or last year's playoffs, or you can go back as far as you want. When the Raptors play their best, oftentimes he's not on the floor. We've seen that time and time again. And yet people still talk about DeRozan as if he's one of these great players. No. Points per game only tells you how many times somebody or how much someone shoots. Okay? And we, we can understand that because LeBron can score 35 points a game. And DeMar DeRozan can score 35 points a game. But one guy's 35 points is significant far more than the other because another guy is scoring 35 points on like 17 shots. Whereas DeMar DeRozan get 35 points on 27, 28 shots. You understand? Like, that's kind of the whole point. It's, it's appreciating possessions, okay? If I told you Team A turned the ball over 21 times and Team B turned the ball over nine, right? That's a 12-possession difference. None of you all would think that it's crazy that Team B would win, right? Because those are 12 extra possessions that they have to score. So if you understand that, the idea that possessions matter and how significant they are, then you also understand that that same rule applies to guys who can make shots and how efficient they are. So if it takes one guy 18 shots to score 35 points and it takes another guy, you know, 29 times to score 35 points, 
That's 11 possessions. That God knows what happens, right? So you understand how important and how effective and productive players who can score the big numbers but do it on a less amount of shots than other guys. But we still get caught up on the amount of points you scored. And until we can, and like, and there's so many people, so many articles, so many interviews that you can watch or read or, or listen to that better illustrate how important that is. But that's like stripped down to the basics, right? And again, you don't have to like wins produced. You don't have to like TPA. You don't have to like box score plus minus, right? Or win shares, or win shares 48, or defensive. You don't have to like any of them. But why wouldn't you want to know at least? So shout out to Curtis, because again, Curtis speaks to something that I think a lot of you all feel. And I used to feel back way back when. But again, like your friend who loves music or like your friend who loves film or theater or uh, art or literature or history, the friend who just can't stop because they need to consume it so much because it's their genuine and true passion. If basketball is your passion, why not arm yourself with all the information that's readily available to you? All right, guys, you heard the horn. That means we are at halftime. Before we get to halftime, some house cleaning issues. If you want to email the show, tweet at the show, you can do so. And I welcome it. Email us at quarterlyreport at gmail.com. Tweet at us at quarterly show. That's Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E show. I love to engage with you guys, whether it's on uh, topics I've discussed, a certain album that's come out, movies, you've seen the uh, Avengers Infinity War, you want to talk to me about it, you got all the platforms to do so. Also, make sure you subscribe to the show We're on a multitude of platforms, whether it's Apple Podcasts, uh, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, Podknife, whatever you, wherever you listen to podcasts. We're there, so check us out. And while you're at it, rate and review the show. Give me some five-star reviews, man. And tell your friends and your family about the podcast because I think we're doing stuff that no other show is doing, and we're doing it in, I hope, a fun way. All right, guys, so halftime this week. I don't know about you all. Cinco de Mayo, ever since I was probably like a teenager, I've enjoyed that weekend so much for a lot of reasons, but mainly because usually – Cinco de Mayo weekend has a huge fight, obviously because of the huge Mexican fan base that boxing has accumulated over the years. And this year was supposed to be even special because it was going to be a rematch of the highly anticipated um, and big-time showdown of Canelo Alvarez and Gennady Golovkin. And the rematch was going to be Cinco de Mayo weekend, which Cinco de Mayo fell on a Saturday this year, so that was even better. But of course, we know Canelo... He had his tainted meat or whatever the case may be. And that fight, you know, did not happen. However, Gennady Golovkin did still fight this weekend. And, man, what a mess. Gennady Golovkin fought somebody who hadn't fought in two years. And God bless him, HBO Boxing did the best they could at trying to build up this fight. Give some type of uh, drama to a fight that we already knew the end result of. And watching the fight this past Saturday, I felt ashamed, man. I felt shame. I felt shame for Jim Lampley and Max Kellerman because they were they were company men this past Saturday, despite the fact that everybody knew that they put forth a trash event. Don't believe me? Well, I, by the grace of connections, have some exclusive footage that you may not have seen Saturday. Take a listen. The following is an HBO Sports presentation. Hi, I'm Jim Lampley, and what a fight we have in store for you. One of the best pound-for-pound fighters in the world, Gennady Golovkin, takes on <clears throat> respectable fighter Vanis Martisian. For more, here's Max Keller. Thanks, Jim. We know this isn't the fight that Gennady Golovkin wanted, but the super fight rematch between Golovkin and Canelo was called off. So... Golovkin decided to take on a huge test in the form of Vinus Martisian. What do you think about the challenge tonight, Roy Jones? What do I think about the fight? I think he's going to get his ass whooped. He hasn't fought in two years. What do you mean, what do I think? (laughs) 
Well, come on, Roy. Vanus is an accomplished fighter. Four years ago, he looked really impressive in several high-profile losses. Uh, right, Max? Exactly, Jim. And check this out. Back in the fourth grade, Marta Cian knocked out grade school bully little Connor Jenkins in Miss Riley's class with an amazing right hook. So Golovkin may be in trouble tonight. Y'all got to be effing kidding me. What a showing as Golovkin looks dominant in a second round knockout. Yeah, Jim, after two fights without a knockout, Golovkin is back to putting guys Total. to sleep. I bit my tongue for long enough. Vonis hadn't fought in two years and took the fight last minute. What did y'all expect? I'm not giving Gennady Golovkin any extra credit for this. He fought a bum. Y'all must have forgot. Cut his mic, cut his mic. <laughs> All right. We hope you've enjoyed this HBO boxing presentation. For Max Kellerman, Roy Jones Jr., I'm Jim Lampley. See you next week when Butterbean takes on your uncle in a must-see showdown. My, how the mighty have fallen. Man, when I think of HBO boxing, I think of, you know, Mike Tyson. I think of... It's Pernell Whitaker, Gotti Ward, Andre Ward, Floyd Mayweather the majority of his career, Oscar De La Hoya. I mean, HBO boxing to me is kind of like what older heads think of CBS and, you know, Wild World of Sports for boxing. You know what I mean? Before my time, you know, Sugar Ray, Ali, all these guys were fighting on Wild World of Sports. But for me in my generation, HBO boxing is the pinnacle. I'm not just talking about a boxing. I'm talking about of all the sports. HBO Boxing's production is among the best. If you're a boxing fan, you already know. But if you're just casual, look at Showtime and their broadcast. Look at this weekend, ESPN's top-ranked broadcast, which we'll talk about a little bit later. And then watch HBO. HBO is head and shoulders above all of them, all of their competition in terms of putting forth uh, a broadcast, a production, like their production value is off the charts, but their stable of fighters is trash. Oh, Saturday was just like, yo, how is this happening? Roy Jones is one of the best commentators, like former athlete commentators in all of sport. Max Kellerman is one of the smartest, if not the smartest boxing mind, boxing mind going today. And obviously Jim Lampley, is one of the best play-by-play -play men or women in all of sport. And he knows boxing so well. The voice of boxing is Jim Lampley. He's, a, he's amazing at it. All of, the, all of the ancillary stuff, all of the stuff outside of the actual fight is top-notch. That fight they put on Saturday was a joke. And Roy Jones Jr. was the only one worthy, like willing to be like, hey, this, this, this isn't really top-notch competition for Golovkin. I was just watching this like, yo, what is going on? It's crazy to me. We'll touch on HBO's fall from grace, in particular one specific fighter coming up a little bit later in the show. But that was halftime. We've got our in-game adjustments made. I'm getting my Brad Stevens on. Going to try to coach up the second half of the show. And it starts with my special guest this week, my man Ben Standick from the Sports Capital. Third quarter. He is a co-founder and contributor to the sportscapital.com. It's a really dope website. I couldn't recommend it enough. It's a website devoted to nothing but DC sports. We've all complained about the coverage of the local media when it comes to our favorite teams. Well, if you're in the DC area, complain no more. The sportscapital.com, really dope website. I couldn't recommend it enough. My guy, friend of the program, Ben Standick. Ben, what's going on, bro? Uh, Arma, man, appreciate you having me on. I want to see, uh, if I use the word dope, I just sound like a, a like a cool. <laughs> you use it, you sound like a cool dude. I, that, that's what I strive to be one day, cool enough to say the word dope. <laughs> hey, you know what? We all have our goals. But, uh, you know, unfortunately, most people aren't going to be as cool as I am. But, hey, neither here nor there. Again, Check out the sportscapital.com, man. It's $5 a month for unlimited coverage, podcasts, articles, whatever it is that you want from all of your favorite teams in the D.C. area. Again, I can't stress this enough. Really dope website. And it's just $5 a month. Hey, man, 
we boycotting Starbucks, remember? So that $5 you spent on the latte, go ahead and put it toward some really dope sports coverage. My guy Ben and the crew at the sportscapital.com. All right, Ben, so, you know, anytime you and I talk, it always starts and ends with the Washington Wizards. And this instance is no different. Obviously, the Wizards, their season ended far earlier than anyone would have hoped for at the beginning of the season with the first round loss to the Toronto Raptors. But even bigger news is that <laughs> under a cloud of mystery, Ernie Grunfeld was extended again uh, as his position as the team uh, general manager. Um, you know, look, man, I'm not going to be the dead horse. If you listen to the show at any length, you know I'm not the biggest fan of Ernie. I don't think Ernie should have been here this long as is. But to be fair, look, when the biggest mistakes I've made in my life and there have been a few, have happened when I have uh, shortened long or sacrificed long-term goals for the short-term gain, right? And I feel like every time Ernie gets extended, it's a year or a two-year deal, and he doesn't have the luxury of actually, like, focusing on the long-term health of the Wizards franchise, Am I being too generous to Ernie when I say that? You know, again, if you want to cut ties with Ernie, fine. I'm not saying don't. But if you're going to keep him in D.C., one-year and two-year deals can't be the way to move. No, I think that's a, a, a fantastic point. And you know, it's why we, we always see it, right? You get a, a coach comes into you know, the coach signs the five-year deal. They complete the fourth year. And then it's like, okay, if he's going to stay for the fifth year, he needs to get extended for a sixth, seventh, or eighth year because otherwise, you know, it, it, it's just confusing. You know, the, the players, I think, lose some respect if you only have the one year. And, yeah, what is, the, is the coach doing things that he may not want to do? Is he may be going with the veterans instead of putting the kids in who are part of the future, but for him the future is the next game, not three years before we're moved, and that's a problem. So, yeah, you would think the same principle applies on the GM spot. I, I mean, one example I use specifically with the Wizards in this friend sense is in 20, going into the 2014 uh, season, I would get the years confused, the Wizards hadn't been in the playoffs yet with, with the John Wall group. And Ted Leonsis in the offseason came out and basically said, I, I'm, I'm expecting the playoffs or we're going to have to figure some things out. And then that was the summer when Emeka Okafor, uh, they learned, had a, a neck issue that essentially kept them off the court up until like a couple months ago. Um, right. In any event, the Wizards, n knowing that, the, the edict that the owner had to lay down, they didn't have an obvious center plan, so they went and gave up a first-round pick to bring in Martin Gortat. Now, that trade worked, but that's an example of, well, if that edict wasn't there, maybe the Wizards make the same trade, but maybe they don't. Maybe they, maybe they say, well, Look, we we still like where we're going. Let's keep the pick. We can do something different. We, if we, even if we don't like the playoffs this year, we like where we're going. We'd rather have the pick for the long term, whatever, whatever, whatever. But they didn't, and that's an example of, of that. And so, yeah, I mean, I think there's something. I think there's something to that, for sure. Um, look, there's also, you know, as I wrote in my piece, it was impossible to get anybody to talk about it in any way, shape, or form. Um, you know, I. I how do I say this nicely? I mean, everything I wrote, I more or less had most of it, at least or several weeks prior. Some of it I didn't, but like, and some of it when uh, when Tom Lavera from the time dropped the the, the rumor that he had heard right. at, into a column, he wrote it sort of like pushed everybody like, okay, we better right. get this going. But um, it, it was hard to figure out where where this was going. And that's what I told so somebody told me it was two years, but I, I didn't, I didn't feel the person knew what was up, but it wasn't somebody who I thought was high enough in the organization for me to just definitively say, yes, that's a hundred percent the deal. So I don't know what the deal is technically. I don't know. If, I mean, nobody does. I mean, I don't think any, anything anybody's written hasn't officially said anything. He could be there for 10 years. I, I don't, I'm not trying to scare people, <laughs> but, uh, I'm just saying, like I, I, you know, it's hard to know. Is it a wink? Is, is, you know, is it a wink and a nod? Don't worry about it. You're good. I, you know, it's confusing. And the other part is, even if it is two years or ten years, none of us know 
exactly what the money is. This, this, right. this, 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 the, the takes are always that Ernie is not necessarily a very highly paid general manager, and that may be part of the appeal for for his his staying around. Um, but like you know, if, it's, if the money is not that extreme, then in theory he could be cut loose at any point, um, which is also part of your part of your point. If you constantly feel like you're playing for your job, then you may do things like you know constantly trade first round picks for immediate help, that type of thing. Self preservation is the first law of nature. And again, I'm not trying to excuse Ernie's past or the the horrible decisions that he's made some of the time, but again. If you're always pressed up against, hey, I have to do this to get my job, and clearly it's a job that he likes, you're going to sacrifice future plans for the immediate gain, and that's just not a way to run an organization. If you want to keep Ernie, and you know it, it's clear that Ted does, go ahead and sign him to a four- or five-year deal and just be like, look, this is it. This is what you have, and then grade him on that. But these one- and two-year deals, it's just bad for everyone. All right, guys, once again, I'm joined by my guy, Ben Standick. Make sure you follow him on Twitter. He's at Ben Standick. That's B-E-N-S-T-A-N-D-I-G on Twitter. Also, follow the Sports Capital. That's the Sports Capital DC on Twitter. And subscribe to the the content at thesportscapital.com. Head over to the website. It's only $5 a month. I couldn't recommend it enough. Really dope stuff over there. All right, so one of the reasons I'm I'm more concerned about Ernie staying and how desperate he may be for a short-term gain is because I am one of the people who are who is a big fan of Otto Porter and Ben I know you are as well. And say what you want about Otto, I've I've argued this ad nauseum. I don't really tend to do it or have any desire to do it anymore. But the the worry I have is that the Wizards trade Otto because look, they're not going to trade John um, there doesn't seem to be a much a, a, a big sense of uh, desire to trade Brad. There doesn't seem to be anyone really clamoring to trade Bill. So that leads one of the big contracts, one of the big three young players that they have. The guy left out is Otto. I think it would be a horrible mistake to trade Otto unless you get like a star back in return a la Kawhi. And when I say star, I do not mean DeMarcus Cousins. So my question to you, uh, Ben, is how likely is it that Otto was moved this offseason? Um, I don't know. I, I think it's, you know, look, I think it's possible, but I think it's more possible based on what is another team willing to give the Wizards. Look, part of the Wizards' issue is this. Even if everything was fantastic, like even if they hadn't, you know, fallen to eight in the eighth seed and got knocked out of the first round, even if they were still playing this minute, they would still have the future issue of they have three players making max money and they don't have any wiggle room going forward. So they may have to do something anyway just because just because of that. Um, so, so you know, it may, it, so it may not even be that. But, like, to your point, you know, Otto would seem like the easiest piece to go. I mean, I've been told by somebody who's, you know, John Wall is basically, he may have, maybe be just impossible to move. Teams are not going to want to take on that contract, especially for a player dealing with all the knee injuries. Beal, yeah, I just don't see why you would trade Bradley Beal at this point. Um, and, uh, you know, Lizotto among the three. I do think they have some other outs this year. I mean, you have Marcus Morris and Marcin Gortat in the final years of their contracts. You have Kelly Oubre, who, <clears throat> look, I get it. Like, you don't really, you know, want to trade a young player on a team that doesn't have a lot of young players. But this is the last, you know, in the summer of 2019, they're going to have to essentially sign into an extension or, or get out. And, you know, at this point, I wouldn't feel comfortable doing that, especially knowing that you already have those other three guys in place. So if you're not comfortable potentially signing him to an extension, you could look to move him now as well, package him with with, with Gortat or maybe even Mahimi and see what you can get out of that. So I think they have a couple moves to make beyond just getting rid of one of the big three. They just may have no choice but to get rid of the big three. Um, but, by the way, like to your point about the whole auto thing, I, I really need – I, I, I took sociology in college, and I don't even know what I don't remember. I don't remember almost any of it. I wasn't exactly a great student, and uh, I, I feel I don't know if sociology is the right thing, but I feel like I need somebody with like a, uh, a an insight into the human mind to come and explain because it's so weird. If Otto Porter and Kelly Oubre were in a regular nine to five office kind of situation, Otto Porter would be the employee of the month every month. 
He comes in, he does his job highly efficiently. He doesn't speak out of turn. He says, yes, sir. He does whatever you want. Kelly Oubre is all over the place. He's wildly inconsistent. He's the, he would be the guy who just randomly blurts things out in the middle of the meeting or doesn't show up till 10 a.m. because he decided it was a good morning to go do uh, hot yoga. And, and it's not that he wouldn't get some work done at times. It's just like he would be like, well, dude, what are you doing? But somehow on the basketball court, people love the Oubre, and they can't figure out – they can't embrace Otto because Otto is – there's no ego there. There's no emotion there. There's not the thing you're used to seeing on a bas- from a basketball player, and it's continually puts people in this weird position of not understanding what he is, which makes me incredibly frustrated because he's incredibly efficient. But the thing is, the Wizards don't even appreciate it. They don't right. do the things to help him be better. They keep asking him to do something he isn't, which is – Okay, but, like, you have to understand at some point, here's what he is. Let's maximize what he does, and they don't do that. I agree 100%. And, it, man, it's exhausting sometimes defending Otto because, you know, like you said, he's so productive. And part of the reason he's so productive is because he understands his game. He doesn't put himself in positions and trying to do things that he can't do, right? Otto is always in a position to help, and that's why he produces so many wins for this team. He's all he's amazing at things that are valuable, right? He's efficient. He can shoot the three. He doesn't turn the ball over. But so many people get caught up on his points per game or, you know, he can't create off the dribble. It's it's as if, it's as if people think you get an extra point for crossing someone over or dribbling behind your back or you get an extra point for dunking on somebody as opposed to making a lay-in. It, I just really wish, and I get frustrated at times, but now I'm just kind of done with it. I wish people really just understood and took the time to understand just how many wins and how valuable Otto Porter is to this organization. And, and to your point about people think you get extra points for doing flashy things, even though, of course, you don't, you know, John Wall's chase down blocks are the perfect example of that. People love those things, and obviously they're very exciting, and a lot of times he's getting seven-footers, and all that, but and sometimes he's doing it in the, in the open court, and that's one thing. But sometimes it's seemingly like he's almost allowing the def- the player with the ball right. to get past him, so he right. can do that play as opposed to just playing basic, boring, sound, fundamental defense and not letting the guy get by you. I mean, one of the one of the underreported aspects of the whole everybody eats. Uh, part of the Wizards season when they went like when they won 10 of 13 games right after John Wall got hurt, people kept pointing to the amount of assists they were getting and, and how Sadoransky played a role in that. The other role that Sadoransky played was he just played sound defense. He knew what he right. needed to do. He didn't allow, uh, I'm not saying he was like perfect, but I mean, he didn't, he, he, he essentially stayed in his lane. He didn't allow his opponents to, to, to you know, to, to get past him too much, whatever. And because of that, there were fewer breakdowns, which led to better defense. With Wall, he's a better individual defender, but at times he lets people go by. But by, my only point of all this is that Otto does the fundamental thing, but the fundamental thing doesn't get you on Sports Center, And people just can't wrap their head around it. And honestly, it's getting old. <laughs> but, but like I said, the, the, the real part of it is, like how many times during the season I would ask Scott Brooks or, or somebody there, hey, how come uh, – Otto didn't get enough shots because he needed to be more aggressive. One game I remember John Wall and Brett, it was a stretch of the season before Wall got hurt the second time or went out the second time, that um, he, Wall and Beal were taking like half the shots every game. And, right. and that's just not a good success. And I asked Kyle Brooks about that, but rather than call out Wall or Beal, he said Otto needs to be more aggressive. <laughs> and I just was watching it going, I mean, yeah, okay, he can be more aggressive, but like you never run a play for him. Right. He stands there in the corner and just watches the ball not come to him. So, like, what's he supposed to do? That's not his game, and yet he's incredibly effective. I see, you know, other players with similar skill sets get the ball. You have this point guard who can pass it to him. I, I don't get the issue, but what do I know? <laughs> well, let's hope you know a lot. You're a guest on my show, and you are a co-creator of the Sports Capital. It's an awesome website for D.C. sports fans, man. If you're a fan of the Burgundy and Gold, the Wizards, the Nationals, the Capitals, yeah, as they're making their – first appearance, first D.C. appearance in the conference championship in 20-plus years. All that is covered. They got you covered at thesportscapital.com. Make sure you follow and subscribe to that website. Again, we're boycotting Starbucks, man. So $5, that $5 for a latte, 
put it to good use in some great DC sports coverage. Once again, I'm joined by my guy, Ben Standick. Make sure you follow him on Twitter at Ben Standick and follow the Sports Capital at the Sports Capital DC. All right, so Ben, um, we talked about Otto, and you just made a point there about, you know, Brad and John sometimes taking half the shots. I've long since felt that any team that is built through their backcourt, meaning if they're, your backcourt is taking the most shots, right? You got your two highest usage players on your team are your point guard and your shooting guard. You have limited success in this league. Unless you have Steph Curry, Detroit Pistons, Isaiah Thomas, or James Harden, three of the best players of all time, three of the best 25 to 30 players of all time, when you think about it, you can't have success. You can't have real long, prolonged success. Um, and we're seeing it play out in real time, these playoffs. You have Portland with Damian Lillard, who'll be an all-NBA player, and C.J. McCollum, a really good player as well. Obviously, we're seeing it here in D.C. with John Wall and Bradley Bill. We just saw it in Toronto, who got swept by LeBron James for what feels like the 10th straight year. Again, DeMar DeRozan will be an all-NBA player as well. But when you're the guys who take the most shots are your point guard and your shooting guard. You just you're putting a ceiling on your potential. Um, do you feel that the Wizards are in that situation where they are basically boxed into a second round at best team because they are built through their backcourt? No, I, look, I think I think you make a good point. You know, well, here, here's one thing that's tricky, and again, I, I hate to bring reality into into a, a, a topic that people typically view emotionally. But right. that is, you can, to some degree, you can desire a lot of things, but to some degree, there's a certain amount of faith that plays into your hand. I mean, the year that some that, that, that some teams have the number one pick, Michael Ola Candy was arguably the number one guy, or Kwame Brown, or even more recently, Andrew Wiggins. I don't know what Andrew Wiggins is going to be. Other years, the number one pick is Anthony Davis and LeBron James. And when right. you get that guy, the whole world is different. So the year that the Wizards got Bradley Beal, for example, the third pick, I mean, I, I was excited for them. I, that's who I wanted them to get. But obviously, if they could have gotten Anthony Davis, yeah. well, well, I mean, then the whole world is different. But that's not how it worked out. So for them, the, the way the assets broke was, you know, the, the, they got Wall, they got Beal, and they got Porter, three perimeter players. Now, of course, they also drafted Jan Vesely in there. He was the quote-unquote big man. And, 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 and Jan Vesely, when John Wall today talks about the need for an athletic five, well, Jan Vesely is exactly that. He's a rim-running guy. But, I mean, Jan Vesely had his issues. <laughs> and that's a whole other story. And some of them are more his issues, honestly, than, 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 than the Wizards. But it is what it is. But anyway, so, yes, I mean, I'm just, I think you're right. It's hard to win with, I, I think, two guards if you don't have at least some type of, of, of legitimate big man as the third piece and the Wizards don't. It's just sort of worked out that way. Um, you know, it's one of the reasons why and this is not to go back in time, but like when the year they took, they, they got Kelly Oubre, like I was pushing them to get Bobby Portis. Not, not that Bobby Portis has turned into some great uh, big man or anything, but like right. it was like that. It was sort of with that acknowledgement in mind. They need the third guy needs to be that. At least they did go out and get Marquise Morris. He's not obviously a big three kind of a guy, right. but uh, but he's doing a good job. But I guess so, to, to take it back to your larger point, yeah, I, I think it's interesting. I mean, you know, Portland, right? Portland's got a good team. They they have those two guards who are great, but they don't have like the third guy, right. especially up front. Toronto, the same thing. Serge Ibaka has just disappointed everybody over time. Um, I always think that the underrated part of the OKC, you know, why did OKC trade Harden thing? They basically traded him because they knew they couldn't keep Harden and Ibaka. And they decided, just like you're saying, that the third guy needed to be a big man. So they went right. with the big man, and obviously that should work out on a, on a, on a hundred on a hundred levels. Uh, Steph Curry, you know, essentially since he became – this MVP player, I mean, right, Draymond Green was there, and we don't view Draymond Green as like a, a, an opposing big man, but he served that purpose right. for them, and I really do think that, you know, that was a huge deal. He had at least that presence inside who could do certain things, and 
blah blah blah. But you're, I think yeah, you have, if you're going to have the two guards, you need the third. That third piece has got to be some sort of impressive front court option and, and, and you know, big man option. The Wizards don't have that currently. Uh, Toronto, you know, doesn't have that really, and uh, and and Portland the same. You know, Nurkic is fine. Valanciunas is fine. Morris is fine. They're just not that guy. Once again, it's my guy Ben Standing. Look, we we talked all this interview about the Wizards and the NBA, but make sure you follow his timeline at Ben Standing on Twitter because he's one of the best at football coverage. In fact, the NFL draft just ended. Ben is always ranked among the best in terms of his mock drafts. So you want to follow him for your Burgundy and Gold coverage, your Wizards, NBA, all things sports, all things local D.C. sports. And make sure you check out the sportscapital.com. Again, for only $5 a month, you get unlimited articles, uh, um, podcasts, the whole nine really dope coverage on your favorite sports teams, the Wizards, Burgundy and Gold, Capitals, Nationals, thesportscapital.com. Ben, thank you so much for joining me this week on the Quarterly Report. Um, I always appreciate it, man. We've got to get you back on my uh, podcast uh, soon as well, especially during these NBA playoffs. Much to discuss. Anytime, anytime. You know I'm always down. All right, guys, it's three quarters down, meaning we have one quarter left. We're going to finish up strong with my fourth topic this week. Fourth quarter. Ah, it's my favorite type of week this week. It's a week that happens on occasion, um, but they're special nonetheless. And, of course, I'm talking about a fight week. Yes, this weekend, the number one pound-for-pound boxer, Vasily Lomachenko, is once again taking center stage. But now, unlike last weekend on HBO Boxing, which we talked about during halftime, Lomachenko is again fighting one of the best fighters available for him, Jorge Linares. It's going to be... Look, I'm not going to try to oversell you this. I think Lomachenko is going to win. But he's fighting a top-tier talent, a top contender. And he always does that, right? He just fought Nicholas Walters. He fought uh, Rigondeau. You know, the guy fights the best guys available, always. And that's one of the reasons, man, when, when a special fighter fights, right, I'm always excited because there's just not that many of them. You know what I mean? Year in the year out, you're lucky for each generation if you have five to seven special fighters, five to ten special, truly special fighters. And Lomachenko is absolutely a special fighter, right? There's no way around it. Again, he's either one or one A, right, in terms of the best fighters in the world. And he's fighting a top talent. And as if that's not enough, it's on free television. It's on ESPN. ESPN will be broadcasting the best fighter in the world Saturday night. It doesn't get better than that. And when you juxtapose this, this upcoming fight with Lomachenko and Linares to Cinco de Mayo weekend last week between Gennady Golovkin and a guy who hadn't fought in two years, that, my friends, is a fall from grace for HBO Sports. You know, I touched on it a little bit earlier in the show. But think about it. In just one year, in 12 months, what HBO once was to where they are now, it's beyond word, it's beyond comprehension. Let me run through the list of fighters who were in HBO stable just last year. Obviously, they had Canelo Alvarez. Obviously, they had Gennady Golovkin. Those two guys still fight on HBO. They still are part of HBO Sports, right? Although Canelo has been dealt a serious blow. Now, I, I, he'll be fine. Don't get me wrong. He'll be fine. But doping multiple times for a huge rematch, that's going to hurt him. And look, if he comes out and put a show on versus Golovkin in September, everybody will move on. But right now, his brand, if you will, has been damaged. But you got Golovkin, you got Canelo. That was last year, right? You still have them, but they were there last year. You also had Andre Ward last year. Andre Ward retired probably number one or number two on the pound-for-pound pound list. You had Sally Lomachenko. You had Terrence Crawford. 
You had Miguel Cotto, one of the most popular fighters of this generation. Chocolatito. You had Vladimir Klitschko, one of the most popular fighters internationally, one of the most dominant heavyweights of this era. Those, those are eight top fighters. And now they have two of them. And that doesn't even touch on Sergey Kovalev. Kovalev, right, they still have Kovalev, but Kovalev, after losing the Ward two times in a row, and how he lost, right, he's, his star has been dimmed as well. HBO boxing is the pinnacle. When I think of boxing, the first thing I think of is HBO, right? And I touched on this earlier, man. Their production is still great. It's still A1. They still have Lampley, Max, and Roy Jones Jr. It's better. That puts everybody else's broadcast crew to shame. And Showtime has done really good. And they have, they have definitely improved over the years with their broadcast team. But it's not touching HBO's. And ESPN, good God. ESPN has two, the two best fighters in the world. Bud Crawford, Sally Lomachenko. Top rank boxing. That Those two are the cash cow. Those are the two golden geese, right? And they put some guys on there calling these. I mean, they still got Stephen A. Smith on their boxing coverage. No disrespect to Stephen A. Smith, but right, come on, right? It's like they don't even know what they're doing. They don't even know what they have. But they have the great fighters, and they put on the best fights. Showtime right now is running away with it. I think we all understand that, right? Their stable of fighters, their partnership with Heyman and PBC, it's amazing. Top rank has the top two gunners, man. You know, top rank is like when the Thunder had Oklahoma, when they had uh, Russell Westbrook and Kevin Durant, and they went up with the Warriors, right? They didn't win, but they put them, they went toe-to-toe because they got the two best, right? They got the two best and HBO's just left around like, man, we got everything else. We got all you want. We got the lighting. We got the production. We got the voices. We got everything. Everything is working. But they just don't have the fighters. And in one year, in one year to lose all of that and to think that, no disrespect again, but Danny Jacobs is a really good fighter. He's not going to replace Andre Ward. He's not going to replace Miguel Cotto. He damn sure ain't replaced Vitaly Lomachenko and Terrence Crawford. It, it hurts to watch what HBO boxing has become because, again, that, that is like a staple to me. If you were in my era, HBO, when you think of boxing, you think of HBO. Jim Lampley is the voice of boxing. But they have taken a huge L. Toronto Raptors-esque L in one year, one calendar year. And I'm amazed to see what the number on ESPN does because ESPN, when top rank is on ESPN, they do well. And Lomachenko is, he is the star, man. Let me tell you something. He doesn't have punching power. He's not going, he's not Golovkin, okay? Golovkin may not even be human, okay? But Lomachenko, you talk about skill. You talk about just, bombarding your opponent, just pressuring your opponent, not just physically, but mentally. Look, man, his last three fighters quit in the corner. Quit in the corner. Regardial hadn't lost. Regardial's first loss, and you know how people are when they first lose something, right? They hold on to it with, for dear life. That being his first loss, he quit. That lets you know. Lomachenko is no joke. He is not playing with y'all, man. And you get to see it for free this Saturday. Man, I'm more excited about this fight than I was on Cinco de Mayo. Ain't that a bitch. <laughs> man, so if you're like me, you're going to enjoy your Saturday. Hopefully this, uh, you know, makes up for last weekend. Because last weekend was very disappointing, okay? It was very hurt. But Lomachenko, high tech, baby. We waiting. We want to see what you got. We know what's going to happen. Also, an added bonus to this fight. There have been rumblings about a potential Javante Davis, the Sally Lomachenko fight coming down the pike. 
Javante Davis is a bad boy. He is a youngster who's got everything you can want. He's got the skill. He's got the athleticism. And unlike Lomachenko, he's got power. But I don't think he wants that smoke with Lomachenko just yet. But it'll be fun. Make sure you follow me on Twitter at Quarterly Show. That's Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E Show this Saturday as I will be live tweeting the fight. Man, it's going to be a lot of stuff. Basketball playoffs, uh, NHL playoffs, and of course, Lomachenko on ESPN, man. My Saturday Saturday this Saturday is going to make up for last weekend, and I can't wait. All right, guys, I want to thank you all so very much for rocking with me for another episode. Also, another big shout-out, another big thanks to my guy, Ben Standick from thesportscapital.com for joining me this week. Hopefully, you guys have enjoyed your week. You're enjoying the playoffs. We've got so much to talk about, and I'll be right back here next Thursday, as always, on the Quarterly Report.